Amen. Thanks, Ev. Good morning, Grace Hill. Good to see you guys. Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open that up to Romans chapter 8. As you know, we've been uh, doing a sermon series past three weeks or so, studying the chapter of Romans 8. And you know what I ask you to do every time is I want you to have that Bible open, whether it's a paper Bible or your app on your phone or whatever, put it on your lap, open to Romans 8, because we're going to refer back uh, many different times. And I just want you to be able to look down and see what we're saying. And you can test me to make sure what I say is right there in Romans chapter 8. Uh, One of the things that I announced to our members last week in our members meeting, and I think many of you know this already, but uh, in just a couple of hours after I preached this sermon, not that my sermon's going to be a couple hours, um, I am going to be going on a uh, sabbatical. Uh, I asked our elders uh, a couple of months ago now if uh, I could go on a sabbatical to get some rest and rejuvenation and to recharge and get ready for leading Grace Hill into uh, the next chapter that God has for us. And so grateful to them uh, for enthusiastically allowing me uh, to do that. And so um, I will be uh, away for six weeks and more than confident um, about the leaders that we have here to lead Grace Hill, to fill the pulpit um, as we uh, keep studying through Romans chapter 8 over the next Uh, several weeks. Uh, But before I leave, um, I can't think of a better passage of Scripture than Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17, to leave you before I take off for a few weeks. And my hope this morning as we study this passage is that you will leave here with courage. I hope this morning that you are encouraged by what Romans 8, 12 to 17 has to say to us this morning. And so I'm going to give it to you right now. Here's what I hope you walk away with. Here's what I hope you walk away convinced of after this morning. And that is this. I want you to look to your left and right. I want you to see the people that are in the room. If you're online with us, I want you to pretend you're in the room with us. Look to the left and right. See your church family. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that you have an indispensable role to play in the life, the joy, and the faithfulness of your brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to know that you are one of the main sources that they have, those people to your left and right, in order to have the courage that is needed to follow Jesus. And I want you to flip it, flip it around. Look at these people to your left and right. I want you to know that they play an indispensable role in your life when it comes to your joy and peace and faithfulness in Christ. And that they are one of the main sources that you have for the courage that is needed to follow Jesus. I hope you walk away today convinced of that. In an age where church is really quickly becoming kind of the same thing as a YouTube channel, I think that we are really in danger of forfeiting 
the very thing that God gave us, the gift that God gave us in order to have the courage to follow Jesus, and that is one another. I mean, if you look at stats today, you know, I think it's like the average Christian, especially post-COVID, if, if we are post-COVID, uh, stats today is uh, the average Christian attends church once a month. Uh, stats say, too, that uh, when they poll different believers, they ask the question, do you need other people in order to follow Jesus? And the majority of Christians say, no, I don't need other people to follow Jesus. And I just want you to know the vision of this church is that we want to wade against stream on that. We want to go upstream when it comes to this one and call you at, as Grace Hill to a different way to say, no, 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 we need one another in order to follow Jesus. Romans chapter eight. All right, two weeks ago, we jumped in to this chapter together and we started with verse one and it's this glorious, radical, amazing verse. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we looked at that and we said, man, this is such an incredible verse. It's a radical verse and it's radical if you understand what a biblical definition of sin is. And so week one of this series, we dove into that. What is sin and, and why is it so amazing that we've been rescued from it? And if you remember, what we said is a biblical definition of sin is this, that it's when our hearts are fundamentally against God, when our hearts are oriented not around God and his purposes for us, but around ourselves. If you remember, we went back to Genesis 1 to 3, and we said in Genesis 1 and 2, God says, hey, your purpose, the reason why I created you, what I want you to do with your life is I want you to be an image bearer of God, meaning I want your life to reflect God. I want your heart to be oriented around God. But the first sin in Genesis chapter three was us saying, no, 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 rejecting that and saying, no, 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 I actually want my heart to be oriented around myself. And I wanna do the things that I wanna do. And God, I actually think I'm wiser and more capable of making decisions for my life than you are when it comes to my life. And so we said, this is sin when our hearts are oriented around ourselves and not God. And so, of course, as we looked at Romans 3 for a bit, we go, who of us is without sin, if that's the definition of sin? But Romans 8, 1 says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it lays out for us how Jesus has rescued us from our sin, forgiven us from our sin. But then last week, we jumped into verses five to 11. And we said, but when Jesus saves us, when we come to faith in Christ, Jesus doesn't just forgive us and change the label over our head from sinner to now forgiven. No, no, he, he does that, but he also begins to change our heart. He gives us his spirit and something begins to change in us. He's reorienting our hearts from being oriented around ourselves to being oriented around himself. And he begins that process in us. And so Paul defines it. He says, when we live with our hearts oriented around ourselves, that's what Paul would call living in the flesh. 
But he says, but when we live with our hearts oriented around God, that is what we would call living by the Spirit. And this week, as we jump into verses 12 to 17, we're going to dig more into that. And we're going to ask the question, why? Why is living by the Spirit? Why does that mean life and joy and faithfulness and peace and all of those things? And then we're going to also discover that living in the flesh actually means fear and death. So I want to jump in. Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses uh, 12 to 17 together. And we'll break it down. Here's what Paul says. Verse 12. He says this. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Uh, in this passage, I think Paul talks about our identity. I think he talks about our future. And then he talks about our present reality. I want to break those three things down for us. Let's just start with identity. Paul says, if you are in Christ. So back to verse one, right? There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. All right, back to verse one. So if you are in Christ, he's talking about those people. He says, you are not a debtor to your flesh. You are not a slave to your flesh. You're actually a child of God. That's what he says. And the vice versa is true, right? If you're not in Christ, you don't trust in Christ, then I think he would say, you are a debtor to your flesh you are a slave to your flesh. And so we gotta ask the question, what is the difference between a child and a slave? Child and a slave. You know, the other day, uh, my son, we were walking home from the bus stop, Leland, he's seven, and he goes, Dad, I just wanna be a grown-up. And I said, why? You know why, buddy? Why do you want to be a grown-up? And he goes, ah, I, just, I just want to be able to do whatever I want to do. And I was like, oh, buddy, um, believe me, uh, when you become a grown-up, that, that's not true. You can't do whatever you want to do. And uh, it's a whole lot more complicated to be a grown-up than to be a seven-year-old kid. So, like, believe me, like, there's many days I wish I could go back to being a seven-year-old kid, and all I'm worried about is baseball practice that day or something like that, right? But if you're a child, and especially when I think about Leland, who's growing up in a home where he's very privileged and many things are provided for him, right, he's not worried about if food's going to be on the table that night. He's not worried about his future, or what's gonna come of his life, or what's next for him. 
Like, as his daddy, I worry about those things for him. Because he's a child in my house. But if you're a slave, you know tomorrow is not promised to you. And you work every single day to either survive or escape. You want out. When you're a child, you belong. But when you're a slave, you don't. See, the difference between being a slave and a child is a slave works in order to live. And a child lives because he belongs. A child and a slave. If you are in Christ, you belong to God. That is who you are. And he is the one who secures your future. He is the one who worries about providing for you. And he is the one who will figure out what's gonna come of your life. Because you belong to God. You're in the family of God. So that goes to our future. He talks about our identity. And he talks about our future. If you're a slave, future is uncertain, not promised. You have every reason to believe or to worry or to fear that tomorrow may not come. But if you're a child, your future is not something that you worry about, right? Look at, look at verse 13. It says in here, for if you live according to the flesh, if you're a slave to the flesh, a debtor to the flesh, you will die. But verses 16 and 17 says something very, very different about the future of the child of God. And if you look at it, it's not just that you will live. Look at verse 16 and 17. He says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And look at this. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Future is different for a child of God. It says not that you will just live. It says that you are an heir. And look, this is a pretty crazy statement. It says you're a fellow heir or a co-heir with Christ, meaning that everything that God the Father has promised, God the Son, Jesus Christ, everything that he will inherit, you will too, because you're in Christ. All right, we gotta, it uses the word adoption here in verse 15. We gotta talk about that for a second. Because some of us, we have an idea of what adoption is kind of in our modern context, but we need to talk about what does it mean in its ancient context in this particular culture, right? The idea of adoption would be like there would be some sort of landowner or a king or a wealthy person who had an estate or in a kingdom that they wanted to leave to the next generation, but they didn't have a child to leave it to. So they would adopt someone into their family because they would say, this is the person that I want to leave my kingdom, my estate, my inheritance to. So this is like the equivalent of like Jeff Bezos saying, hey, I'm going to adopt you into my family and you get everything that I've built, my entire, all of my wealth, my entire inheritance. That's now yours when I'm gone. That's this idea of adoption in scripture, that God brings you into his family and you are now an heir to his kingdom, which means you will inherit the kingdom of God. Which means that everything that your body and your soul longs for down to your bones will be satisfied. There will be a day where you'll have a body that does not ache or decay. 
or when you have relationships that don't break down. It'll be a place that you'll live where you don't have to fear about what's next. Rejection, loneliness, regret will never be a feeling that you feel ever again when we're in the kingdom of God because God says, I'm giving this to you because you are an heir, a fellow heir with Christ. You will receive my kingdom. Your future is secure. Everything you long for is secure. It's yours in Christ. But if you're a slave, there is no future. Nothing's promised. You toil in this life, and then it's over. That leads us to our present reality in the passage. Verse 15. For those who are in Christ, he says, verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is present day. This is today. Right? To live according to the flesh means to live in fear. Fear of what? Fear of death, pain, failure, missing out, loneliness, rejection. Right? If you're a slave to the flesh, what this literally means is that this life is all you have. This minute is the only one you've got, the next one's not promised. Every day that goes by is a day that you won't get back. Every year that goes by is a year that you will not get back, and then it's over. So let's think about this logically. How do we respond to that reality when we're a slave to the flesh, when we have no secure future, when tomorrow is not promised to us? How do we respond to that? Well, of course we're gonna say, well, I'm gonna gratify the desires of my body. I'm gonna figure out how to make the best of this life now. Of course I'm gonna orient myself, my life around myself. Of course I'm gonna do that, right? It's the old adage, right? Let's eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. I don't got time to do something like trust in God or follow these scriptures or organize my life around this virtue or that virtue. I don't got time to do things like that because tomorrow is not promised with me. Time is running out. And so I'm gonna live for myself and nobody else. That's living in fear. That's the spirit of fear. Right, tomorrow is not promised. My future is not secure. So of course, yeah, I'm gonna give this relationship a shot even though it may not be wise. Right, tomorrow's not promised. My future's not secure. So yeah, I'm gonna pour myself into work. I'm gonna try to make something of my life, do something significant, even if it means I neglect my family because this is all I've got today. I don't, I don't got time to, to, to give of my time and my money and my effort to my neighbors or to love those who are marginalized or things like that. I've got a life I'm trying to make 
Because tomorrow's not promised. My future is not secure. Time is running out. To live in the flesh means to live in fear because the future is not secure. And if living by the flesh means to live in fear, then living by the Spirit as a child of God means to live with courage. It takes courage to follow Jesus and to trust what he says about you. It takes courage to believe that you are who God says you are and to stake your life on the future that he has secured for you as an heir of the kingdom of God and to put to death the deeds of the body. Verse 14 He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It takes courage to live by the spirit and put to death the deeds of the body, to allow your heart to be oriented around God. It takes courage to resist the siren call of the world to your flesh, right? You've read Homer's Odyssey. I haven't either, but I watched their brother where I fell, right? <laughs> so the siren call of the world to your flesh. The world calls to your flesh. It, it preys on its lust and says, come in, I'll give you all of the pleasures that your hearts desire and you realize it's a trap. Right, the, I think, I just think for our area, the culture that we're in and in this specific area, Right? It takes courage to resist the siren call of the world to say, hey, organize your entire life around building wealth. That's your number one goal. That's where all of your investment and effort and your future goes. Build wealth. That's how you secure your future. And if you have anything left over, if you have anything on the side, then we can begin to invest that in the mission that maybe God has called you to. Organize your life around securing your future here. It's the call of our culture to us. It takes courage to be able to go before the Lord and say, God, here's everything that I have. Here's who I am. Here are my gifts. Here are my passions. Here are my desires. Here is my wealth building potential. Here's all of the stuff I have. I'm just going to ask you, what would you have me do with it? That takes courage. Saying, no, I'm gonna invest all of that into securing my future for about 20 years from now, that's living in fear. Right, it takes courage to love people the way that Jesus loved people. It took courage for the Samaritan to stop along the side of the road for the man who'd been beaten and to give of his own expense so that his wounds would be healed. Right? Fear would have said, get out of here. Those robbers might still, still be around. Keep going. You don't got time to stop. That'd be inconvenient. You don't got the money or the ability to care for these person's wounds. Right? It takes courage to say, God, you've called me to love my neighbors as I love myself. And so I'm going to go and, and love the people around me in sacrificial ways as you've called me to. I'm going to be merciful to those who are hard to love. That takes courage. It takes putting to death the deeds of the body. Fear is the very thing that stops us from living our lives 
that the Spirit is leading us to. Lives of joy and peace and faithfulness and being right in line with the will of God who has secured our future and given us the kingdom. And so where do we find this courage? How do we get this courage? It's verse 15. I love it. Verse 15. It says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. God didn't give that to you. But you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You are not a slave to your flesh. You do not have to do what it tells you to do. You are a child of God. That is who you are. You belong to the family of God. And I believe where we find courage to live by the Spirit and follow Jesus is through belonging to God. In the fact that we belong to him. We are his child. But here's the deal. Convinced of this. I don't think we get to a place where our belonging to God fuels actual, on-the-ground, daily courage. You guys, you know what I'm saying? I don't think we get to a place where our belonging to God, knowing that we're a child of God, that begins to fuel our courage, on-the-ground courage, when we feel like we belong to the family of God. To the degree that we feel the belonging that we have to the family of God, that's the degree to which our actual identity as a child of God will fuel our courage. So if, you, if you're not kind of coming with me right now, what I'm saying is we give that courage to one another. To the degree that we feel like we belong to one another, it's so much easier to believe that we belong to God. We can know in our head that we belong to God, but to know it in our chest, we give that to each other. You have an indispensable role to play in the life, joy, and faithfulness of your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are one of the main sources that they have courage to follow Jesus. If we're in a church family together where we can be known, where we can confess, where we feel the deeds of the body and the fear, and we can be encouraged to follow the Spirit, encouraged in who we are as children of God, when we have that, it's easy to have the courage to live by the Spirit. These people around you play an indispensable role in your life when it comes to your life and your joy and your peace as a child of God. These people around you are one of the main sources of courage for you to follow Jesus and to live by the Spirit. And if that is true, one of the questions that I have for us this morning is how might that change the way we engage and commit to our church family? How might that truth change Saturday night and Sunday morning when you make a decision to show up here? Knowing that when you come here and your presence enters this room, it's not just for you. 
You have brothers and sisters that you play an indispensable role when it comes to their life, joy, and faithfulness in Christ. You have brothers and sisters who need you to be a source of their courage. How might that change the way you engage with your community group here? And dig in with one another. It's my prayer that that Grace Hill Church would become a courage factory when it comes to following Jesus. That we would do this with one another. Because when we do it with one another, we remind each other that we're part of the family of God and we're heirs to the kingdom and that our future is secure. You know, we're in a culture today where all we hear is that you can do anything by yourself as long as you got a smartphone, right? As long as you got a smartphone, there's nothing, you don't need anybody for anything. And if that was true, God would have created you with a smartphone in your hand. But he did say you need one another. And he did create you to exist in a family. My prayer for Grace Hill Church is that we would be a courage factory when it comes to following Jesus. Let me pray for that right now. Father, we need you and we need one another. It's our confession this morning, God. We need you and we need one another. We are not strong enough to do this in our own strength. Just gonna confess that again so it just lands in our hearts. God, we need you and we need one another. We are not strong enough to follow you all on our own. And God, you never called us to. God, I pray for our church that we would be a people who see it as the the calling that you've placed on our lives to encourage one another, literally give courage to one another. God, I pray that as we gather together as a church, as we come together in community groups, as we fan out amongst this town, that God, we would be a people who belong to one another, give each other courage, don't fall back into the spirit of fear as slaves, but remind one another that we are children of God, heirs to the kingdom, our future is secure, and so we can stand before you and say, God, you have my whole life. What do you, have, what do you wanna do with it? Pray we'd be a courage factory here at Grace Hill, that you would help us to do this life together, to invite our neighbors in to do this life with us as we proclaim the gospel that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, do a work in us through your word and through one another, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.